Lee Whitehorn, 44 years of age, father of two, married to Laura, siblings, Luke, Jay, Rachel and Jane. Uh, one father, two mums. That's me in a nutshell, footy coach. I look at myself as just the average, everyday, run-of-the-mill bloke. Why am I here today? Um, to talk about my diagnosis um, that I received, oh, not great with dates, but I'm going to say about six weeks ago. Um, and I was diagnosed uh, initially with a lesion, which I think is a nice word initially for a tumour or cancer. And I was diagnosed with a diffused glioblastema. Welcome to episode two of The C Word. Here's a recap of my brother Lee's story so far. Oh, what am I afraid of? The honest answer would be uh, not being around long enough to instill the values that I feel will set my kids up to become strong, responsible, wholesome individuals. So my name is Luke Evans. I am Lee's youngest brother. Probably the obvious, more longer term fear or greatest fear would just simply be, you know, not being able to have him here. Um, it's much harder to accept that that is going to be, um, that there's going to be an end of the road piece in that, you know, like, because I want to see his boys grow up with a dad like him. So I walk into the bedroom and there you are laying on your bed. You've obviously concussed yourself. Like something's, something's not right here. All I know is you probably shouldn't sleep if you're concussed. How about we take you to go and see some professionals get this sorted? And, uh, and I say, can you, can you get out of bed? And he, he kind of rolls over to his left and he tries to lift his right arm, but it was kind of, he wasn't able to lift it. And immediately I panic and go, God damn it, don't tell me he's had a stroke or something. Like, cause that's, you know, usually you can't move the arm. How about instead I go make a phone call and get the professionals to come here? I was like, you just stay in bed. And he was like, I'm fine, I'm fine. I just need to sleep, I just need to sleep. So went out, to be fair, I actually just quickly ran over cause the coffee shop's just directly across the road to Borhan and I, I was panicked and do you know when like you do the triple O I don't know if anyone else is maybe it's just an age thing but I remember there was a period of time where they did this campaign the government to kind of say if it's not an emergency call this other number and I was like in my head going is this an actual emergency I'm pretty sure it is but why am I doubting myself so I, I ran over to Borhan and I was like he looked and he was like just call the ambulance I was like I know I know anyway so I ring them and uh, and then within like I don't know 10 minutes i don't i can't remember i'm, I'm looking at you to ask pretty, you have no idea but it was quick. it was very quick which by the way i love first responders they are the best humans in the world the way that they walk in the qualities of values they bring with them they walk in they take over they just there's so much certainty and safety that comes with these individuals that walk in there and when you're watching a loved one lay there and you're a bit panicked because you're going i don't know what's happening internally for you i just know something isn't right and your gut saying something's not right something's not right in that time my mom has just been quite overwhelmed with something doesn't feel right she's done a u-turn off the you know wherever she was driving down to the gold coast and come back so by this point since the phone call that we had she's turned around she's come back to brisbane and she's arrived at the house when the paramedics are there 
by the time I had got there, two ambulances were there and I thought, my God, this is not good. I went upstairs into the house. <laughs> I looked at Lee and I lost it, just lost it. You never know what it's going to be like to see one of your children not do really well. So when I gathered myself up and stopped blubbering all over poor old Bori, um, Bohan, um, I went back in there and uh, to assess the situation, um, which was not looking good. So um, Lee was really incoherent about everything and they weren't sure whether it was a stroke or whether it was um, a seizure or they just weren't sure at all. So they were taking him up to hospital Laura had then asked me to go with him to the hospital and she would bring the kids up later. Um, my sister at this point, sorry, during it as well, had had phoned because um, she was like, oh, Laura, mum had called as well. I'm coming, but you know, obviously you guys can get there quicker because we're closer. And I was like, yeah, yeah, I'm all over. Ambulance are on the way. Um, just go straight to the hospital. So Rachel goes to the hospital. Mum jumped in the ambulance with Lee. And then I think at that point they were a bit nervous because you hadn't had a seizure in there, but they were... Yeah, I hadn't had one in the ambulance at that stage. and But they were, they were worried about something. That's why they were sitting there. Um, yeah, well, they were worried about it a fair bit, but they were. it was more my lack of um, ability to respond mm. and to focus. And I knew that something significant was sort of wrong. And then, but I started to feel like I was, like things were coming back. I've always been very aware of my body and its limits. Um, I guess it's, I used to train really hard. So I was always been aware of like, I guess from a, a head space and a, and a body's perspective, like what I've been capable of and when I should be concerned and when I shouldn't be. And, and I started to feel everything coming back. So I thought, okay, this is, I'm starting to respond. The, the lady that came in, the paramedic first responder was, and again, just to support your comments, just phenomenal wasn't she she's oh, the just best. phenomenal individual and i remember looking at her going you'd be a really good coach <laughs> you'd be a great coach she's like okay we're trying to work out a way to get the bed up the stairs so we can put you on it and i remember thinking there's not a chance i'm getting into an ambulance on one of those beds i'll make my own way down there and you did though and didn't i you? did yeah. because i said to her i'm fine and she's like, okay, well, you need to show us you can get up. And I was like, okay. And I remember thinking, oh, just muster up everything you've got here because <laughs> you got to pay, you're going to, you know, talk the talk. And I remember when I got up and she was like, okay, good. And I walked out and, and at that point we've got a cafe straight across the road, as Luke said, and, and there's a school 150 metres down the road. It's a really, really busy time of the day. Um, unfortunately, I didn't have my best underwear on, so oh, yeah, you're I, in your... <laughs> I made my way down the steps and then into the ambulance. And then, yeah. and then I, I remember being in the ambulance, and Mum was sitting there, and I could see Mum was visibly upset, and she was doing a really good job of holding it together. And um, I remember thinking, oh, do you know, what? I feel okay now because I know I'm not right at home, and I and I do need to go to hospital, but I just don't know what for. Um, but I know that I need to, I need to see somebody about whatever's just happened. And I remember after a few minutes, the paramedic was asking me questions and I thought I was responding fine in my head. I guess the answers were ticking over and brain was 
you know, yep, yep, yep. But it verbally, and it makes sense now in terms of where the tumour is, I wasn't responding properly. And she spoke to the guys at the front that were driving and said, okay, get the get the sirens on. This is like we need to get there right now. Call ahead. Um, uh, emergency, we need to get in CT immediately. Like this is now an emergency. I don't remember, I don't remember being panicked. I remember everyone else being panicked. When I say everyone, my mum mainly. Um, I felt like I was having a heart attack myself in the front of the of the car, <laughs> feeling like, oh my God, what in the hell is happening? Like my poor son's in the back here having seizures and I'm deciding I might just lose everything. Like, you know, God help us all. I then had another seizure. That was in the ambulance? In the ambulance. Yeah, right. Okay. Again. You hadn't had one before this? I had the morning, that morning. So when you fell off the, the toilet that, that, that day, they said that was a seizure. That right. That was where we were going to come back to. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So you've had the seizure in the morning. morning. You've fallen down, hit your head. Yeah. You've now in the ambulance. You're not responding well. Seizure, seizure again. again. Self-limiting. Yeah, I don't, look, I don't know, to be honest. Look, I, I've Because then fast forward, right, and I say this because, you know, we're there in the story, is you get in, you go immediately in for a CT, and then coming back from there, you a, have a, a, a large one. A large seizure, yeah. 60 seconds, self-limiting, as I understand it, meaning you were able to pull yourself out of it. Yeah, 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 yeah. I remember everything prior, post, obviously seizures, you what do you do? Just black out? Is that what it is? Like oh, I don't, your memory obviously is is just. Yeah, I wouldn't yeah. be able to tell you other than. Like no recollection other than you feel something coming. What's the feeling right before you have a seizure? Um, the first one was I feel sick. As in throw uh, as in up the, sick. in the morning. I feel oh, okay, sick. Yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. After the CT CT scan, I had the doctors come in and they said, "Yeah, you've got a lesion." Um, didn't say a tumor at that stage because they obviously had to do some. Some more testing. So I think you're overstepping a, a you know one of the crucial parts of the story, which is when my sister Rachel, our sister Rachel, arrives to the hospital. All of a sudden, this nurse comes running out and just opens the door. The doors open, and she sort of just yells my name um, and said, "You you have to come in straight away now." And I went, "Okay." What hit home the most, which was seeing obviously my eldest brother. Um, having a full-blown seizure. Uh, at the time, you know, he's completely pretty much off the bed and, you know, as we know what a seizure, everything that unfolds, your body loses, you know, sort of all control of everything. And then um, my mum having, um, I guess what you would call, I don't know, um, a, a mild anxiety attack <laughs> um, slash she just lost control she yeah. was watching her uh eldest son um have a seizure which she'd obviously never seen someone that's so put together and so in control all the time that looks after everyone else and then he was on the bed having full-blown seizure so then I have her response of going I've got chest pain and I can't breathe and I've got pain going down my arm and then on the other side of the room I've got my brother having a full-blown seizure and chaos going on and I sort of have that moment of flickering to mum to go, this is not your time. Like this, you just sit down, like just breathe. Like they're all got it under control. And I'm sort of looking back to him to go, fuck, he's got to be coming out of the seizure soon. Like when we talked about it afterwards, the seizure went for 60 seconds and his his body 
um, self-regulated out of the seizure, which was the positive. So they didn't have to. They were just shy of giving him a, an injection to be able to help him come out of this seizure. But his body self-regulated. So what of it felt like three hours was actually only 60 seconds in all this chaos. Mm. So the doctor comes into the room and uh, sits mum and I down and asks us a few more questions about Lee, about his health, what the last three to six months has been like, you know, what has he experienced and went through all of that. He then sits there um, after understanding who we are so obviously sister and mother, he sits there and then just delivers your one line of going, look, yeah, we found on the first CT scan a tumour um, in the back left area of his brain. And and I was floored. Mum went back to <laughs> having a mild heart attack and um, and just broke down and uh, and then I guess I had to make the phone call um, to Luke to you know the doctor had said please don't tell anyone over the f- you know don't tell the wife over the phone what has happened don't tell Laura what has happened over the phone we need her to be in here we need to be in front of each other and it's be very clear so at this stage I thought it's obviously really fucking serious and uh, and so then I knew that Laura was with obviously yourself, Luke, and then I make the terrible phone call of, uh, I always think about this phone call going, I wish I'd probably not said it the way that I did, but I had no other way. There was no other black and white of just going, um, hey, so we've got some news. Um, the doctor's been in. Um, are you outside? I think I said. Are you with Laura? Yes. Uh, are you outside? Can you go outside? Go away from Laura. Okay. And then you just sort of, I think you were out on that because I could hear the cars going, zooming past on the front deck. And I said, oh, don't tell Laura, don't don't break any emotion. Don't look like there's anything serious. But basically the doctor has just told us that there's a tumour on the left-hand side of his brain. Um, but we can't tell Laura. But we need her to come up. So I need you to sort the kids Yeah, we got a call a little bit later from Lee's sister, Rachel, who had met them at the hospital. And it was probably at that stage I knew it was not great um, because Luke took Rachel's call and took it outside. That was the point where I knew it wasn't going to be great. Um, And then Luke came back inside, super calm, and said, okay, we, they've done some tests. I think the doctors just want us to get there so that you're there as his wife for the results. Um, So my best friend came over and looked after the boys and we headed in. Um, And it wasn't until I got there that, yeah, I was told that he had had seizures and the CT scan that he'd had on arrival um, proved that what had happened at home that caused his fall obviously was a seizure um and then post that ct scan he he had another one um which was pretty severe in the hospital so um it was a lot to take in um he did recognize me when i got there which was a big fear of mine Uh, he recognized me and um he couldn't talk very well and he didn't have much memory either um but yeah he did recognize me and 
put his arms out for a big cuddle when I when I got in there. I think that's when I sort of started to break was he kept asking me the same question over and over again <laughs> and I was, gave him the same answer and I made it all about footy because obviously footy for him is life and everything regulates in his brain around football. So I kept saying, it's like a head knock, mate. You just had a head knock. You're okay. We're in the hospital. And he just kept asking the same question again and again. He just kept asking me, where am I? And he kept asking me, what's happened? And I kept telling him, you've had a fall. It's like a head knock in footy and you can, you're going to be okay and you're safe and you're in hospital. And he kept going, but where, but where am I? I'm going, you're in hospital. And he just, nothing was, it was taking so long to sort of calculate. And I think, I I feel like I might have said that 25 times to him. Same thing, over and over. And it's amazing how in that moment as well, you just want to be together. Like you just want to, like a little, just like all little cells in a, in, a, in a sick body, you want to come together and heal, you know? So all the family members come together and we just want to almost sit and gravitate around him. <laughs> just be there and just hold on to him and just be like, it's going to be okay. We don't know what we're doing. In fact, we're probably just in the way. So we are a couple of days out from kind of the next steps. So tell us where, like, where are we now? Explain where we're at at this moment in terms of how did we land here today and what have you kind of got immediately in front of you? Okay. Um, on Thursday, I go in to see Morpheus and he'll offer me a blue pill or the red pill and I'll make a decision. Fantastic. Which uh, is the right pill to take? Right. <laughs> no, Thursday, uh, Thursday, I start my treatment and there's a lot around around you, around that and around what you do. And, yeah. um, and I think we need to have a discussion at some point to kind of talk through how'd you come to the point of making that decision. But right now the decision, you know, the point that you're at is to be going ahead with treatment. And what is that treatment? Radiotherapy, chemotherapy, five days a week, six weeks. So I am getting, in the words of my doctor at the point, he said, we think we've got this because it's young, but it's aggressive. uh, And we have to treat it with due respect. And that means we need to give you your full there's a dosage of radiotherapy that the body can absorb over your entire life before it has significant ramifications on a whole range of things. Mm. So you can break that down into little dosages over long periods or whatever it may be. But in this instance, he's like, he seems to be confident that they can deal with this, but they need to give it effectively, drop in the nuclear bomb and go bang and give it everything. Um, so for six weeks, radiotherapy, 30 minutes a day, chemo will be in the tablet form. Um, I've got another range of tablets that I have to take. I've got to take an antibiotic. I've got to take an uh, anti-nausea. Um, I have my anti-seizure medication that I'm on twice a day. Six weeks, I do get the weekends off. Um, sounds funny because people are like, oh, I know, right? what do you get the weekend off? Does I was cancer like, does take time off? Cancer takes like, the weekend. You know? No, it I'll doesn't. But, um, but your body needs your body needs the opportunity to respond. And also they're very aware from a mental health perspective that, that you need to have that time. Thursday is when it starts for me. I'm kind of, I don't know why I'm looking forward to it. I just want to rip in and get it done, um, get the process started. How would you describe 
the fear. So you say you look forward to it and I, I can understand a bit of that, but how would you describe what's another time in life where you've had this same feeling towards something that is significant and going to be a, a challenge, but you know, is it, is it like, uh, this sounds terrible, but is it like, you know, when you, cause you're a football coach that lead up to that, that grand final where you want to rip into it, but you're, you're nervous. Uh, the point I'm getting at is, are you nervous? Like, is there a part yeah. of uncertainty in you or a part of you that's like, I, I just want to do it. Cause I just want the supposed outcome, even though this is going to be quite a long process. Uh, am I nervous? No, I'm not nervous because I've asked the questions. I understand what lays in front of me. So I have nothing to be nervous about. Might sound weird, but I don't have anything to be nervous about. I know what is happening. So no, I'm not nervous. Am I anxious? No. Um, I felt really comfortable when I went in and got my mask fitted. You have to wear a particular, they build a mask to so that your head can be positioned in an exact location every single time you lay down for the half an hour for the radiotherapy. Because um, it's that precise. Because uh, it's that precise. Yeah, right. Yeah, it's set, and there's been enormous improvements in the last 20 years with radiotherapy. 20 years ago, this would have yeah. put me on my ass. Yeah. Now they're, um, they're really confident in this space, I guess. So, um, no, I'm not nervous. I'm not anxious. Why do I want to get into it? Because I believe within me, um, we'll get through this. This thing will be gone um, at some stage. Don't know how long you know, that will take, but that's my belief. Um, and then I can move on to whatever the next stage is. And, and probably part of this process is where do I give back after this? Because mm. a lot of people, it sounds funny, but I'm already thinking of that. A lot of people have given so much mm. so far, enormous, mm. enormous, enormous amounts mm. of their time. So what, yeah, what do I do next? Where do I yeah. get back next? So that's why I want to get through it. And that's why I want to get it started because that's just me and that's just my approach to it. Why? Yeah. Put it off. Yeah. Just rip in, get it done in six weeks. Six weeks disappears very quickly. Yep. Um, I get a month off after that. Um, yay. Straight to Ibiza. Um, and then I go back onto chemo for six months. Chemo six months. Yes. However, Jeez, I didn't a, even know that. It's a very different. Um, yeah, I hadn't quite. It's, much, but, uh, it's very different. So Catching it live right it's now. Not a, it's not intravenous. Um, yeah. uh, it's a. It's, it's a, still the tablet. It's a tablet form. Yeah. Um, which is far more. The way that you take it and the way that it uh, interacts with your body is it's far more directed at the brain. So instead of it floating throughout your body, it's it's um, more directed at the brain. So it has a, a greater impact. Also means I don't have to go to the hospital for it. I've just got to take a tap. And it's every. I've got to get the numbers on it, but it's like I've got to take one tablet every 10 days. And does it have the same effects as normal chemotherapy? Like, do you expect, uh, do they expect in that six month period, if it hasn't already happened in the six weeks, hair loss and, you know, all the usual kind of. I would never lose my hair. I know. It's, you are like Miss Potato, um, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> no, look, they, the worst, you don't, you just don't know. Um, so my stepmom, when she went through different bouts of chemo and she had three different types of cancer over her life she absorbed uh, nearly i think she had one treatment of chemo left in her is all that they could offer despite the ugliness of the situation despite the potential realities that i think something like this you know as as you know as your brother and as someone who's sitting on the on the sidelines really you know this is we we have no idea what this is truly like because we're not you but it's 
leading into something that puts the reality of life in perspective of that it can kind of be removed from you at any point in time but you're now dealing with it in a way where it's like you've got treatment happening you've got the you've got all these potentials but you're leading with optimism you're leading with pragmatism with a level of i'm just going to get in there i'm just going to just going to stay focused on doing the absolute best and and keeping my body in the best possible place it can be yeah i think the one conversation i did have with the neurosurgeon when i had my first appointment and was diagnosed and he said, we can't understand, we still don't understand why the brain, because effectively it creates a little cell and that cell then develops into a tumour. It's it's not like having cancer anywhere else in your body. This is, manuf- your brain just, for whatever reason, decides it's bored, I guess, and I'm going to create I'm gonna create this cell, why not? And it's going to sit there and we'll just wait for so some point in time and then it's going to happen. Yeah. Um, so they... They don't know why. So my, and this again might be naive, but I said to him, okay, so my brain created this. He said, yep. And I said, now, I'm not up to speed with tech and computers are building fast, but I'm pretty sure that the brain is still the greatest computer on this earth. And he said, yes. I said, right. So if I could build it, then they can get rid of it. So, but in order for that to happen, I have to have absolute belief that I'm built, my head's built to do that. Yeah. Uh, and when I say belief, not belief that's come from something I've read or something that somebody said to me, that it's come from me, absolutely within me. And that's, I guess that's where I'm at and that's what I have for me. And at some point that might prove wrong. But after looking at a range of people spending a lot of time in hospital last year with mum and seeing the people that go into, and this might sound really negative and horrible, there are so many people that you see that are just wasting time in terms of you've been diagnosed and they just, they're miserable. And I get it. It's a horrible thing. It's not nice. It's a horrible thought to think that you've got this thing lingering over you. But um, as Kim said, day by day, as you're aware, Day by day, just get it done, make the most of it. And I'm probably lucky to a degree that I, for up until now, um, with my family and the way that we live, that's what we do. Just we make the most of every single day that we've got and the resources we have in front of us. Um, and that's that's how we live. So for me, if my brain can build it, it can get rid of it. Um, and if I can get rid of it, then I'll keep it at bay as long as I possibly can. And at some point, it'll change. Treatment will change and things will change. Um, and whatever the benchmark is, if someone's currently at 20 years, then I guess my response to that is, well, up yours. I'm going to see your 20 and raise it. I'm going to take 40. We've started now. We know what the podcast is about. We've, we've set set the grounds for, for who we are and who you are and, and, and what your journey is so far. Um, how, do you want to, how do you want to do this? What do you want to bring to the table each week? Um, I've, I've thought a fair bit about that since we've spoken um, and I, I'm trying to get my head around going, what's my role in this other than being the person that's carrying the, the illness? What's my role? What do I do? I kind of had thoughts back to when I had my first kid and you enter in, you go into a hospital for whatever it is and you sit down with an individual professional and they tell you something and then you leave and you leave this place of knowledge and understanding and resource 
and you exit the door, wherever it is, and then you're faced with, well, what's what's next? Mm. Who do I talk to? What do I do? How do I manage my way through this? Mm. How do I make sure, or how do I ensure that I have have the best state of mind? How do I ensure that I can continue my role of keeping my family together, moving ahead with this? How do I ensure that my mother um, just keeps being my mum? How do I do all of this sort of stuff? And there's there's nothing really out there. I shouldn't say about podcasts or apps or there's a lot of bullshit out there and there's not much that's just for the average punter I don't think anyway that just talks about this in a simple manner that doesn't require significant financial resource I don't need money to have the mindset that I have I don't need anyone else to support me to have the mindset that I have um, and the approach that I have I'm just really lucky that I do have some people around me that support me in that space so for me moving forward I guess, depending on how I'm feeling each week, I'd mm. like to talk about what have we gone through? Um, are there any examples uh, that I've seen throughout the week? Are there individuals that I've spoken with that that has given me a, a different perspective? Are there doctors, nurses, so forth, that have given me, again, we talked about first responders, that have given me some sort of greater enthusiasm or hope or, or supported you know, my beliefs? What is it that I'm learning along the way that I can pass on to the average individual that can help them find clarity in whatever their problem is. And it doesn't mean that it has to be cancer. It doesn't mean it has to be MS. It doesn't mean it has to be anxiety, depression, whatever. It doesn't matter. Just, I guess, what can we bring to the table to help the average individual think about the problem they have in front of them and then work their way through it. That's what I would like it to be over a period of time because yep. at the end of the day, everything's the same. Problem's a problem. To one individual, a small problem for me might be huge for somebody else. And a big problem for me might be small. It's navigating your way through that. And I think that's what I would like to try and do. And I think that's, I guess, where my skill set in this space lies. How, do the average, how does the average person get through their problems, whatever it is? And as your brother is someone who... Um you know, has sat across the table or sat on the other end of the phone, had these conversations. I think you bring that great uh, level of insight and, and, and thought and pragmatism to, to different situations and how you can overcome and overcome them as you do through coaching. I think also as your brother and as someone who's sitting on the sidelines effectively to this situation, I wanted to be able to capture the journey of it, you know, maybe selfishly wanted to capture the journey of it. Um, also be able to have those discussions in a place where other people can hear some of the insight because there's already been stuff that I won't share now, but stuff that I've gone, wow, that I just didn't see it that way. And it's made me find ways to show up as a, as a better brother for you during this as well.